Hey, greetings, everyone. Lieutenant Colonel Allen West, and welcome to the Steadfast and Loyal Podcast. Hey, greetings, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Steadfast and Loyal podcast. We're joined today with Chris Beck. Chris is a retired United States Navy SEAL who served for more than 20 years in the Special Operations Forces. Over the course of 13 deployments, he conducted special operations with small unit UAV, small UAVs, human and direct action missions. His final tours were with the Navy Special Warfare Development Group, DEVGRU, or SEAL Team 6 also as they are known, to head the Special Reconnaissance Units and various task forces as a human source handler and technical operations director. In 2009, Chris was requested by name to be the advisor to SOCOM's science director, Mr. William Shepard, SEAL slash astronaut. He became an integral part of soft technology and advancements while serving in this capacity. In 2011, Chris Beck retired from his service in the United States Navy, suffering from PTSD and other combat-related injuries. He was indoctrinated into the transgender lifestyle. A film by CNN was made in 2014, which partially portrayed the struggle Chris Beck was facing in these tumultuous years. While studying for his master's degree in mental health counseling, he discovered, with the help of his fiancée, the true depth and reason for the transgender phenomenon. Having overcome the mental health crisis, Chris is living a fulfilling life dedicated to veterans through his nonprofit, Mindful Valor, while ministering his testimony of redemption and forgiveness through the grace of God. We're now joined by Chris Beck. Chris, thanks so much for being with us on the Steadfast and Loyal podcast. Hey, you know, you just, re you know, we talked about how we met back at a Purple Heart uh, event here in the DFW area a few years yes. back. Tell us your journey, your story about how you came to join the United States Navy and, of course, become a uh, modern Spartan warrior, a Navy SEAL. Well, I grew up in a family that was uh, warriors, I guess. My dad was a football coach. My grandpa was a football coach also and World War II veteran. Uh, he was in the Navy. Uh, I have a lot of family members in the Army and Navy throughout World War II and Vietnam and everything else. So uh, it was just something that I knew that I was going to do as a young kid mm -hmm. was to join the military. So it's just the way it worked out, you know. And then uh, I was going to join either Special Forces or the SEAL teams. And uh, since the SEAL teams are a lot better than the Special Forces, oh, here we I go. had to join. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I just, <laughs> but, the, right. but the SEALs, you know, <clears throat> yeah. it was uh, the diving, scuba diving and a lot of Absolutely. stuff they do. <clears throat> so it just fired me up, you know, just to get into SEALs. 
But well, I, you, you know, what you're talking about is, you know, that that generational service of families. My dad was a World War II veteran. My uh, older brother was a Marine in Vietnam. My dad challenged me to be an officer in the uh, in the Army. And now my uh, nephew, my older brother's son, is about to take command of a battalion. So when you think about your service uh, with the SEALs and, of course, Lee SEAL Team 6 and others, you know, what were the things that you noticed about your deployments? What went well? What did not go well? Uh, how can we improve what we're doing in this very dangerous world and what we're, in where we're living right now? Well, the, the mindset right now is still wrong. We have a mindset of basically Maginot Line and silly World War II tactics. You know, we are so far beyond World War II that we're still thinking that tanks and big stuff is going to win a war. It's not really the case anymore. We're in a fifth generation of warfare. You mentioned cultural Marxism to me earlier, you know, before you came on here. That's exactly what's going on. You know, our warfare right now is no longer bullets and bombs. I mean, that's still something we have to do once in a while. But the warfare we're in right now is it's fifth generation of warfare. It's social media. You know, it's cyber, it's it's everything else except, you know, the boots on the ground, you know, and boots on the ground in a conventional sense with big army or big navy or big anything is not going to be the case anymore. It's special operations. So one of the biggest failures I saw when I was in Afghanistan was we had these battalions, these army battalions, what do you call mm -hmm. them, CBTs, I think? Yeah, they combat, were they'd be but, out yeah. there. They had these huge army units were in charge of a sector. And but special operations like the team I was on, we were going after all the bigs, you know, the heads of the snakes, yeah. you know, and for us to do our mission, we need to be in charge. And then for us to be in charge would have changed the entire face of that war. So we would have been going after our big guys and we would have been using the bigger assets, the, the Marine Corps battalion or big Marine movements or even the big army movements and then the Air Force assets for eyes in the sky and then, you know, you know, close air support. Mm -hmm. So having a special operations commander in charge of a sector and having him coordinate all of the fires and everything else going on would have made that war over in about two or three years. And I guarantee you, we're still fighting World War II battles. It's no longer the case. You know, have special operations commanders in charge and then have them, you know, divvy out the missions and then coordinate the missions from their sector. And then that would have made everything go away. Because we hit the head of the snake, we hit the head of the snake, we keep hitting those heads, and they keep going after it. We use, uh, we work really close with OGAs and NG NGOs and all of them. So special operations work so much faster and so much more uh, the critical infrastructure. So a lot of the battles I went into, we'd sit there and see these army guys just mowing over stuff. And all they're doing is making more insurgents. So you have a farmer that has a gun protecting mm. his family. His uncle gets killed. His brother gets killed. His cousin gets killed. You just made a farmer into an insurgent. And then next thing you know, his brother gets killed again. Now the insurgent is now turning into Al-Qaeda. So we just kept pushing people up the chain of command into more and more hardcore terrorist organizations because we kept killing them. We weren't killing them in the SEAL teams. We were capturing them, we were questioning them, we were winning them over to become sources. You know, I rarely ever killed anybody when I was in combat. You know, it never really happens. We'd capture guys. We'd go in there without firing a shot. We'd sneak in so quiet, open over a wall, go up and pass these windows and grab a guy. Nobody was awake in the entire compound. We'd get one guy and we'd bring him over to our area. We'd question him, we'd do whatever we got to do. And we'd say, all right, dude, we don't want to be here anymore. 
what do we got to do to get America out of this place? Well, if you guys would go after that guy over there, that would be really helpful. Well, that guy is actually not a bad guy. He's probably your enemy because you guys are tribes. He's the chief of their tribe that you don't like. So how about we do something else? So what they were doing is they were doing tribe against tribe and mm-hmm. getting us in the middle until we kill one tribe chief. That tribe chief is happy, and another tribe pops up. Same thing that happened in Somalia. Mm-hmm. Come on. It's not how we do it. So we just have to be smarter about this. So really you know? what, what you're talking about, and, and we've used this term, terminology before in the military, is breaking the phalanx uh, yes. and, and getting to a new mindset where we don't have, like you said, big army, big navy, big marine corps, whatever, being the ones that everyone else falls upon under. We're talking about more of the unconventional operations being the driver of more conventional operations. And and I'll give you a great example. When I was a a commander in Iraq, uh, we got the task to go out there and provide an outer cordon for yeah, a, uh, a Navy SEAL operation that was going in after one of the, uh, the, the list of cards uh, yeah. characters that we had in Iraq. So you're right to, to have that, that bigger focus. But one of the things that I see that's happening right now in the military, Chris, is we're not focusing on our war fighting capability capacity, oh, yeah. being it understanding information operations and how they can set the yeah. conditions for decisive operations. We're focusing on all this, you know, you're white, you're my oppressor, I'm black, I'm oppressed. You can't have a cohesive fighting force that way. It's ridiculous. I mean, I was making that little joke about the special forces earlier. And the thing is, is like, we joke about stuff, but none of that happens in the real forces. You know, the real forces, nobody cares if you're black or white or Asian or Latino, whatever you are. Mm -hmm. You can do your job, do your job. Now, what they did was they brought all this PC stuff in to try to divide us even further. And that's not the American military doing that. We're being pushed by that Marxist agenda by other militaries. So what happens is we have China, we have whoever's doing it, is infiltrating our you know, industri- military industrial complex, and then all the money flow, and then politicians are bought over, and they're forcing us to do this. So the problem is with our... You know, military is being led by all these civilian people who don't have a clue what the military is about. And so we have civilians who are getting pushed by corporations or the military industrial complex to become this PC force. So then the civilians make these laws and these rules and policies that they force down the throats of these military leaders. So Joint Chiefs of Staff are being told by Congress or by whoever else, the you know, House Armed Select Services Committee, HASC and SASC and all the other ones, they're being told, this is what you will do, and this is the agenda, DEI, 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 diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so we don't need that. You know, what we need in the military is a tougher boot camp. Get rid of those mm-hmm. stupid yellow cards and start making our forces back into the tough guys they were. You know, back in the old days, they used to say, you know, you know, the men were iron and the ships were wood. You know, now mm-hmm. we have all these iron ships with all these barely wooden men. You know, light them on fire and it'll burn up in two seconds. You know, nobody has the guts to go out there and fight anymore. It just pisses me off to no end. Now, the thing about the Navy also is mm-hmm. they're building these supercarriers. And I made this point about 15 years ago. They get one supercarrier, like the, uh, what's this new one they build? The Ford. Yeah. Cost them billions and billions and billions of dollars. They have 5,000 Navy sailors on a thing. It can get taken out by one uh, carrier killer missile from the Chinese. Mm-hmm. It's a hypersonic missile that costs them about $100,000. They can shoot 10 of them at one supercarrier and they guarantee to hit. It destroys the entire supercarrier. 
with a million dollars, they can take out 5,000 sailors and billions and billions of dollars. What does it cost? Like $50 billion to build one of these ships? And it costs a couple of, you know, $100 million a day to make this thing run. You know, what in the heck are we thinking? Now you have the LHDs that Marine Corps uses, mm -hmm. the uh, smaller carriers. They can carry the Harriers, the helicopters, all the other stuff on them. You make one of them things for what? Uh, 50 million bucks? You know, it's a lot of money, but it's not billions and billions and billions of dollars. And you could have made a hundred of those things. Now, one of those things, missiles, super hypersonic missiles, might be able to take out one of those things, but I doubt it. So those things are fast or agile, they're smaller. Mm -hmm. They also have all the helicopters up protecting. They're totally fighting the wrong war. They're trying to fight this silly war on the global commons of the oceans, and you have to look at the global commons. The first global commons we had was land. That's when the army developed. That's why armies first. Mm -hmm. The next global commons, when we got that kind of settled, global commons was the oceans. Then you have the global commons of space, which was not really the right way to go. We have the global commons of cyber right now, mm -hmm. the internet. Now, if you fight in the global commons and learn it, then we surpass that. We finished war land warfare. We went in the oceans, and this is going back to the 16, 1700s, mm -hmm. you know, the Spanish Armada. Yes. So the global commons of the oceans are now, we are set. We know who conquered that. We know how to run it. We know how to control it. The next global commons, what is that, space? We barely even know how to do that. But now that we have Antarctica Treaty with all those countries in there, kind of settled space. You know, because of the Antarctica Treaty. If we can bust that Antarctica Treaty, then we can actually learn what space is really about. When we get down to Antarctica and start finding out what Admiral Byrd, you know, discovered down there, we start finding out really who's who's who in the zoo right now, you know, as far as countries and power. And the next thing we have now is the global commons of cyberspace. Now, cyberspace is a free-for-all. It's the cowboy town. It's a bunch of people running around like nuts. So who's controlling cyberspace right now? No one is controlling it, really, if you want to get what I want to think about. So Julian Assange would have, Assange would have had the whole thing straightened out, start telling the truth about cyber, start really letting us know what's going on. We have companies out there running amok and stealing data from civilians, from me. Now, our Constitution is supposed to protect us from that, but it is not. We are running amok to no end because corporations, a big bunch of conglomerates and these international corporations, multinational, international, this BS, they own cyberspace. We do not own it. Governments don't own it. These corporations own cyberspace and they're running amok and they're controlling every government because they own the global commons. So yeah. get back in control of the global commons of cyberspace then these countries can start building treaties within countries, and then we can start straightening this stuff out. Until then, we are done. And Rose. right here is the best book you can get. It is written by Boone Cutler and General uh, Mike Flynn. It's called 5GW. This is a humanity's fight against globalism. This book right here will give you your recipe. And Mike Flynn, General Mike Flynn, good friend of mine, so is Boone Cutler. These guys wrote a magnificent book. Volume 2 is getting ready to drop. Volume, this is like the preparation. This is going to give you the do's and don'ts. It's a workbook. It's set up so you can take notes in here. You can figure out where you lay into and what's going on in your neighborhood to fight against this globalism, to fight against cultural Marxism. Marxism. Now, if you want to get rid of transgenderism, and it's not really transgenderism. It's not really the, the problem. Transhumanism is a problem. The satanic cult of transhumanism. It's going on with, with uh, Elon Musk's 
thing sticking in your head. I don't even know what it's called anymore. I don't even care because I'll never have one. It's satanic. They want us to put computers in our heads to hook up to the freaking digital marks in our hands, our foreheads. That's the best spot to put it, too, because it's right in front of where your third eye would be where the pineal gland connects to the outside world. When that little chip is in your head right there, you're done, you know? And I'm well, not talking about conspiracy theory. I'm talking about real life going on right now. It's a neural link. They want us to do that. Then people have been doing the, 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 the cyber cash they want to do, the um, centralized digital banking digital currency. currency. Yeah. CD. It's, it's the worst thing we can ever do in the world. Talk about controlling the world and control it, control the money, control the food, control cyber. You can have it all. That's all corporations. We are done as humans if we allow digital money into any one of our banks. We already screwed up with Jekyll Island. You know, back in what was that, 1916, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. where they crashed through Titanic, which was actually not even a Titanic, and it was bombed, and we all know it. They killed everybody that would have stopped it. Jekyll Island got rid of the gold standard. We wanted a stupid Federal Reserve that controls us. Federal Reserve are civilians with no leadership and no control and no nothing. They've been printing money as a free-for-all ever since, what was it? Um, it wasn't Clinton. It might have been Ford, I think. They got us off more of the gold standard, said it was temporary, but it was not temporary, it was permanent. They went amok. Now, the Federal Reserve has been printing more money just in the last 10 years. 40% of the money that's in, in right now, the paper money, the fiat currency that we use right now, the American money, 40% of the entire global supply has been printed in the last 10 years. Pretty sure it was like the last 10 years. But almost half of the currency that would ever have been printed since the beginning of time for American currency it's been the last 10 years. What's wrong with that picture? Well, we're it's, being, it's a lot we're wrong. We're done. Yeah, well, you know, I, I don't want to believe that we're done. We're definitely in a very bad situation. I don't want to be done. I'm going to fight. I'm fighting yeah, right now because I'm here. We're definitely in a bad you know, situation. And it is interesting that you do find people like Elon Musk, Jamie Dimon going over to talk with our number one geopolitical foe, which is which is China. Uh, right. and, and we have got to do better in protecting our own economic interests, which is what yeah. you're really talking about. And understanding, again, that the, the elements of national power is you know the dime theory diplomatic yeah. informational military and economic and military is supposed to be the uh, no, the course yeah. of last resort so last we have resort. we have got to do better with protecting our our economic status so but you did well, here's, bring here's what i got can i add one more point to that sure here's where i got i don't blame china sometimes because what happened in china was you had this uh, avian flu or was it h5n1 it was one that happened a while ago this is in the 70s you have tyson foods you have arkansas you have a governor in Arkansas who hooked up with the CIA that's already been working with the uh, E. coli bacteria and then working with the proteins in E. coli even beyond the DNA, the RNA of the E. coli. They weaponized the E. coli and put it into the avian flu. They released that into a bunch of, bunch of chickens and it happened that it came from these um, small chicken farmers in China. And then he wiped out the entire uh, chicken farms in all of China. I think it was 1975. Tyson Food went in there about a month later and bought the thing for cheap. Tyson Food now owns China chicken. Then they went in there in the Philippines. They went in there in Singapore. They went in there and controlled all of it. Tyson right now owns like almost the entire chicken market in the world because of things they were doing. The way they did that was called corporate espionage. They used stuff that was going on with the CIA. And this is in CIA documentation. It's all of it. I can show you all of this. It's pretty easy to show. 
They did it with the chickens. And they did it again with a bunch of other stuff. They did it with the uh, the mad cow disease. What they've been doing is they've been weaponizing E. coli into avian flu. Then they did it with the bovine. They did it with the other ones. And these vaccines. These things have weaponized. And I can show you the documentation that the CIA did this. They even have CIA documentation where they talked about it. I think this is 1968, where they even brought up the fact that this is how we got to do it. We have to work with all the American corporations because they knew economic warfare was where it's at. So we crushed China in the 70s. So China's not pissed. They're pissed. Now, the only way we can fix this is we got to like slap our own hands for a little bit and say, hey, this went on. China, let's get back to the table with the ambassadors, with the economic things and get together. Say, China, this is what we happened. We know what happened. Tyson, you are done. And then get well, those guys out of there. They but we so got to operate. But we have to Hillary operate. Hillary Clinton made $100,000. But we have to operate from a position market. of strength with China. And right now, you know, coming back to our initial conversation we're not in a position of strength with china when you we see can. what they're what they're doing where they're threatening our naval admit vessels admit our lies and then build rebuild admit our lies admit our deceit and then rebuild it's the only way to do it you got to get rid of all those uniparty cronies and start kicking some butt empty that swamp out and then start cleaning it out and when we do that all these other countries will come back to the table and they'll sit down with us until we admit our deceit and admit our lies we're always going to be crushed. And well, that's you, how we fix America. You and bring that's up what a I great. Want to do. I want to fix America. Well, I agree. And you bring up a great point when you talk about the deceit. You know, talk to us about, you know, how here you are suffering from PTSD. And instead of people. I cured being, it. Yeah. And, but instead of people being. My PTSD being, is cured. Yeah. But instead of people being serious about it, they pushed you toward a lifestyle that. Uh, end up maybe doing more harm than good. So what was it about this that someone saw an opportunity or whatever to convince you to go down the path of the gender dysphoria, transgenderism, whatever you want to call it? Okay. Well, this is, again, it's an economic thing. This is all about money. You have one of those transgender surgeries is $400,000 in the pockets of doctors and administration. These hospitals are setting up gender clinics mm -hmm. all over America. Now you have Johns Hopkins doing it, that yep. one, Vanderbilt. These huge hospitals, they set up a gender we got clinic. them here in, Dal in Dallas. <clears throat> of course. So if you have one doctor with his team, which would be the anesthesiologist, a few nurses, all the other ones, $400,000 in four to five hours. So what happens is you have a kid who might be on an autism spectrum. They might have this other problem. They might have anxiety. They might have depression. They might have all other kind of things. It might be a girl who's a tomboy who's getting picked on, and she's depressed and has anxiety. She walks into an office and you get uh, treatment for anxiety. You know, that's going to be what, four or five sessions of therapy and maybe a little bit of pills. But if you're transgender, you're going to be a forever patient. You're going to have forever, you're going to be on hormones. You'll be on puberty blockers. You get surgeries, you have complications, you get more surgery, more surgery, more surgery. One patient from the age of 15 until the, uh, 60 or 70 years old is probably close to over like tens of millions of dollars for a doctor. That's only one patient. So it's money driven. So what happens is for me, PTSD, anxiety, depression, I have TBI. I had massive traumatic brain injuries, which you're not even studying. So what I did was I fell into the trap. So they bring me in there and they start talking to me about all this stuff, about how they can do this, do that. And I go, well, I had this problem also as a kid. And I started talking about childhood trauma. I started talking about where I was with trauma from PTSD and TBI and wartime trauma. So put on childhood trauma on top of wartime trauma on top of adult who right now is retired 
And I don't really give a crap anymore because it's like, man, I did my I did my job. I did everything I got to do. All I want to do is relax. And sometimes I relax by just putting on a skirt or something, just chilling out. He said, well, why does that make you relax? I said, because I can put away a lot of my childhood trauma because it somehow it releases a lot of that. I can also put away anxiety. I'm just being myself and I just kind of chill out. He said, well, then that's the cure. That's not the cure. That was like covering up a symptom. That was covering up one symptom of about 10 problems that I had. So what did I do? I started going for my master's degree at graduate school at Alfred University. And when I was doing that, I started learning a lot. I learned about my childhood trauma. I learned about human development and where everything went wrong. Chris, you give, you're giving me a whole, a whole lot of more information that we'll have to save for another day for another interview. I hope you do that. Okay. And uh, I will tell you. Jesus is the, is the way. way. Absolutely. Walk the right way, the right path. This is the way. Well, I thank you for your service. I thank you for sharing your testimony because that's very tough. And I'm just glad that you are walking that right path with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because he is the answer. So Chris Beck, God bless you. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us for this episode of the Steadfast and Loyal podcast. Thanks to Chris Beck for taking time to share his Thoughts about service, sacrifice, commitment, and where our United States Navy and military is right now, and the key decision that he has made to detransition from a life of gender dysphoria. It takes a lot of courage to do that. Chris has shown that courage in more ways than one. If you like this podcast, please click the like button and share it with others. And until next time, steadfast and loyal. Before they burn it down